Welcome back to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Ryan. This is the podcast for all of you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Infield Development and Edmonton Association, a nonprofit education and advocacy group that brings together like-minded people working to shape our city. Our guest today is Dr. Sandeep Agrawal, and he is a professor in the Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. Sandeep actually has quite a list of achievements and a huge amount of experience in the academia world. He was an associate chair in the department and inaugural director of the School of Urban and Regional Planning between 2013 and 2023. During his tenure as a director, he led the development of Master of Science in Planning and PhD specialization in urban planning. And he also established the school in 2018. Prior to moving to the University of Alberta, he was associate director and founding graduate program director of the School of Urban and Regional Planning at Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly Ryerson. Dr. Agrawal has a diverse array of research interests that encompasses sustainable urban and rural planning, energy transition, indigenous issues, and human rights. Among several national and international grants he has received, the most recent one is his $98.6 million CFREF grant in which he is the project lead from the University of Alberta. As an accomplished author with over 100 articles and professional reports and three books, Dr. Agrawal has contributed to planning practice and affected city bylaws and planning policies and legislation with a lens on human rights and equity. Now let's talk to someone shaping our city. So our guest today, very excited to have on Dr. Sandeep Agrawal, who's, um, I guess, an outgoing uh, associate chair in the Department of School and Urban Regional Planning. Um, I think he was the inaugural director of the school between 2013 and 2023. He's moved on to a new role very recently as um, associate dean in the Faculty of Graduate Studies and Research. He's a very accomplished author, tons of articles out there, a couple of books. The most recent one is entitled Rights to the City, Problems, Progress, and Practice. I'm about halfway through, Sandeep, so um, you can't quiz me on it quite yet, but definitely later on when I'm finished it. And he has a new book that uh, has a title already. It's called Municipal Boundary battles and that'll be published very soon um, he's also the recipient of the canadian institute of planners national academic award for his very significant contribution to planning education and research in the country that's a very short glimpse of it but uh, dr agarwal welcome to the show thank you very much ren yeah very excited to have you on today and the very first reason is because um i'm sure you're aware that olivia and i are both u of m alumni as are you Oh, wow. Oh, excellent. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Our time didn't overlap, but um, I, I'm curious why you chose U of M for, uh, for planning. The answer that I'm going to give you may not be very exciting or inspirational, but uh, um, I'll say that my entry into planning was accidental. And, you know, choosing the University of Manitoba was out of pure practicality. So I call myself an accidental planner. Uh, and again, I was not one of those who was reading Jane Jacobs books or, you know, playing with SimCity when I was four. Uh, but I came to planning from other disciplines, uh, like completing architecture. I had a brief stint in 
in engineering. Now, coming to the University of Manitoba, why I went there, well, when I applied, I had a five-year architecture degree from India, um, which was more than usually what's required here in Canada at that time. But I was asked to take an additional year pre-masters in architecture, which I did not want to. Uh, but they were willing to give me uh, or admit me rather in two-year master's in planning program. So that was one <laughs> practicality. And the second one was that probably at that time, University of Manitoba was the only university where the tuition for both domestic and international students was the same. <laughs> You're right. That wasn't a very romantic answer. Um, I did. I did like it though. So architecture. How come? How come the architecture dream didn't last? Just because of that one extra year you had to take? Yes. Yes. I did not want to take another three years. So that would have made it like eight years of architecture. No kidding. Yeah, that seems like a lot. So, all right, let's let's talk about Winnipeg now. You must have a few likes, a few dislikes about your time in Winnipeg. You spent, it looks like four years there, three, four years. So how, what did you like about the city? What didn't you like about the city? Yeah, so I was in Winnipeg for about three years. And again, as you can imagine, uh, a young international student just landed here in August of 1991 everything was very different. I was fascinated by the spaces, how planned they were, how clean they were. Um, streets were straight, absolutely straight, cutting each other at 90 degrees, which <laughs> doesn't happen still in India. Um, downtown architecture was, was, again, very fascinating to me and prairie architecture around around Winnipeg was again another one that I really, really liked. And the first snowfall, I clearly remember. I was walking from the campus uh, back home and there was this white stuff falling from the sky and I had to ask someone if that was the snow. And the answer <laughs> was yes. <laughs> was that the way they delivered the answer? Or was there a bit of a reaction when you asked that question? Well, I think I kind of got the gesture and the yeah, yeah, it is kind of thing. And, and I, I, yeah, I made sense out of it that it, it was snow. I mean, what, what else could, I, could it have been? Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to think of that. Yeah. Now, have you gone back to Winnipeg since, uh, since you graduated? I have. I have gone back after a gap of uh, about 25 years. And how much has the city changed since you remembered it? Oh, gosh, the city has changed a lot. I remember when I was there, the city was like, I would say relatively small, maybe half a million or just about it. Um, and I remember as a student, I would uh, think of Vancouver and Toronto and how big they were and kind of stuff that was happening there. But, but this time when I went to Winnipeg, this was before COVID, uh, I was just amazed um, looking at the amount of development, um, increase in population, how diverse the population was, obviously way, way more diverse than what I saw back in early 90s. Uh, the Forks um, area uh, where the two rivers meet, uh, Assiniboine and, and the Red Rivers, it was, it was just being built. And this time it was fully built 
so yeah, it was it has changed quite a bit. Um, but I tell you though, the number of mosquitoes remain the same, <laughs> and the amount of snow. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I remember the mosquitoes in Winnipeg were not fun. They were really big, and they were very scary. And they kind of float around like these, you know, really dangerous fairies <laughs> that are just going to like, you know, suck your blood and everything. But <laughs> but speaking of, I just have to chime in because, yeah, I lived in Winnipeg for four years doing my uh, master's in architecture. Um, I'm so curious when you were, uh, you know, when you lived in Winnipeg, I think, did you see the city evolve uh, between from from now until of course, previous then, is it more vertical now? I Because when I first went to Winnipeg, I thought it was super flat. And I'm from Edmonton, you know. And it's it's just, it, I didn't, I couldn't fathom anything being much more flatter than um, Edmonton. But um, yeah, you said developments were actually growing. And how high were they? And what, what uh, where, 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 where did it start? Yeah, I, I don't think it was that vertical but but again I, I i i thought it had spread um horizontally a lot more many more suburbs the areas um so i used to live on the south side and i think the the vacant lands were all filled up and you know th there's a perimeter road around the city and i could see some of the leapfrogging happening um uh, beyond that, so so yeah, I think it was mostly mostly horizontal. I would say, as 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 what is happening here in Edmonton as well, like kind of a spread, you know. Yeah, spread out much more yeah. into the suburbs, and suburbs were all filled up. Yeah, was Bishop Grandin there when you were there in the nineties? Okay, I thought that was somehow a new development or like a newer road that uh, got built when I was there. <laughs> no, Bishop Grandin was there. Bishop Grandin was there, okay. I'm not that old. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> no, I was thinking about the 90s. <laughs> I thought it was uh, actually um, closer to, uh, I thought it was actually closer to the um, to millennia that it got built. <laughs> uh, so Sandeep, it seems like you went through your undergrad, grad school, and then your doctoral program back to back to back. Was that always the plan or is that just kind of how it, uh, how it ended up? No, uh, again, where I started, it wasn't planned at all. Um, I, I hadn't even planned on going into academia um, early on, but I'll, I'll give you, I'll tell you, it's a long story, but I'm going to make it as quick as possible. And there are some interesting twists and turns here. So my journey, educational um, career, uh, it started in India. Um, I went to Indian Institute of Technology and then came to Canada, master's uh, at the University of Manitoba, PhD from the University of Illinois in the US, then came to Ryerson, University as a faculty, which is now Toronto Metropolitan University, and then ultimately to the University of Alberta. And I actually worked uh, both in public and private sector, city of St. Louis. I worked for 
Then I was in the private sector at Parsons, Har uh, Harlan Bartholomew and Associates. And Harlan Bartholomew was uh, very famous back in the 1940s, uh, did the plan for the city of St. Louis, uh, city of Vancouver, and a whole bunch of other places across, across North America. But I'm going to go back to Indian Institute of Technology, which is in short IIT. So, you know, growing up in India still is the case. Um, all Indian parents insist that their kids take up one of the three careers, doctors, engineers, or chartered accountants. So my early aspirations was to become an engineer. And goal was to get into NIIT, and these are world-class premier institutions. All professional engineering disciplines are in these institutions. So I got into one, very difficult to get in. I had a passion for chemistry. And in fact, I, I'm going to you know, say a few good things about myself. I scored the highest in the country and all of that. And I wanted to be in chemical engineering. So I got into chemical engineering. All is good. And here comes the twist. I got a letter from the university saying, congratulations, you have been transferred over to architecture or architectural engineering, which was part of civil engineering at, uh, at the society. Um, so I was very upset as to, you know, how come, you know, a discipline has been changed on me in the midstream. And when I went to see the university administrator, he showed me his application, for, my application form. And what happens is when you fill out the application form, which you do in grade 11 to appear in these national exam, you have to list the area of interest uh, based on your priority from one to 10. And uh, guess what I did? I listed them in alphabetical order. So architecture obviously was before chemical. Uh, so there I was in, in, in architecture. But uh, I thought, look, if, if, if that's what is going to bring my bread and butter, then I'll have to be the best. And uh, I worked very hard. I actually went back to learn, you know, coloring and painting and arts. And I was, you know, good at that, but I never thought of that to be my career eventually. Um, but architecture was also a mix of arts and science. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, that was that sort of formed my foundation. And then the logical then step was to sort of go either further in architecture or move a, a discipline like like uh, like planning. So that is long and short. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of happy accidents along the way to get you to here. So that's that's super interesting. What what about your research? You must have had to do research. At, did you have to do it at the master's and the doctoral level, or just uh, your doctorate? Tell us about your research. No, both both at master's and doctoral levels. Yeah. So what uh, what kind of topics were you must have uh, found some topics that uh, that kind of hit home for you? What uh, what did you research? Look at the master's level. For me, um, obviously, planning was very new. And in the context of North America, uh, I learned a lot. Um, but I honed my skills in GIS and CAD. Those were upcoming sort of fields or skills uh, at that time. 
And someone like me who had never touched a computer, I mean, I had never seen a computer before coming to Canada. So that was, that was quite fascinating. And, and um, so I, I wrote papers and I did my thesis, which were related to uh, some of that. Um, at the University of Illinois, where um, I did my PhD, again, I wanted to pursue that area. So I was into fuzzy set theories, you know, I took courses in C and C programming, C++, systems modeling and, 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 and things of that in nature. So I could take you know, some of those hardcore uh, parts of planning. Um, but eventually I realized that for my doctoral research, I needed to know quite a bit about the qualitative aspect of, of things because I was looking at how planning and design design decisions are made at the municipal level. And it had two steps, basically. I wanted to do a qualitative study and then do a quantitative study. So yeah, so I, I learned qualitative study and then moved on to learn more about quantitative. I mean, the, the, the lesson that, that one could take away from all of this is that I think all of this made me very practical, flexible, adaptable. So if you look at my research now, I mean, I do research on migration and governance and climate change, quantitative methods, qualitative methods, and I give credit to the fact what I learned over, you know, whatever, 10, 20 years of my um, education career. Yeah, for sure. I was going to ask you about links between your previous research and, and anything you've currently done. So um, did you ever go back and reread any of your, uh, your, your theses or your doctoral submissions and uh, take any of that research and expand on it? Or No, I, I, I never read my papers or anything that I have written in the past because I know I will not like it. I would want to edit it. And yeah, I, I don't. I do not look yeah. back. <laughs> I feel that. I have my uh, my master's thesis. I got one copy bound and it's sitting in my, it's sitting in a cupboard, like behind a closed door. I don't think I will ever read it again. It just, it's, it's a previous part. So I, I definitely understand that. Um, let's talk about how you got to the U of A, first of all. So you were also the director of the, um, the school in urban or the school of urban and regional planning at Ryerson. Um, how did you get from, um, your private sector job, uh, into that field? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I was with uh, Parsons HPA, Harlan Bartholomew and Associates. And, um, at that time, um, Ryerson was, was, um, had advertised for a position in urban design and something around technical skills. And that was the only position in the entire country at that time, which I thought suited um, sort of a match with my skills and, and um, the research and education that I had acquired by, by, by then. So I, I got the faculty position even before I finished my PhD. So I moved to Toronto from St. Louis, took the job, and then within a year, I finished my, my uh, uh, PhD while, while I was teaching. And uh, yeah, and from there on, I mean, I was there for 15 years, um, you know, moved from assistant professor to associate to full professor, 
And in about 2012, 2013, um, University of Alberta was um, looking for someone to shepherd their new undergraduate program. And by then at Ryerson, I had um, developed a new graduate program, uh, master's in planning there. So, so they actually heavily recruited me to come here and here I am. 10 years. Um, and since then, you know, uh, we have been able to develop it further, brought masters in planning, PhD in planning, um, turned this whole thing into a school. And we are now one of the only two schools in the country that offer undergraduate, graduate, doctoral programs under, under one unit. Other one is uh, Waterloo. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. And I always talk about how I would have loved to have a planning school in Edmonton when I was. That's the reason. I mean, you went for practical reasons. I kind of went for practical reasons as well. There there was no local option for me. Um, I don't, you know, it was nice to, to go to a different city and then come back. But still having that, that like kind of the local perspective, I think, is really key. Um, a lot of your students have moved on to work for pretty much every organization in the city as well. That has to feel pretty good, hey? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very proud of um, what we have been able to accomplish and um, and really take pride in um, how great our students are doing. Um, and, you know, student success demonstrates our success and what we were able to do for them, for sure. Uh, Sandeep, one thing I've always get curious about is, um, you know, how these program start, how it evolves through time. It, was it was it really hard to to start in the beginning? Because, you know, there may have not been enough planners or there was not people aware that such a discipline exists. Did, what Were there challenges there? Definitely. I mean, there were challenges. Um, I did not realize it again at the beginning. Um, I thought, hey, I have done it once so I can do it again. But here's what I say to everyone. Ryerson is, at that time, relatively small university in a very large city. When I came here, I was in a very large university in a relatively small city. And so for me, navigating through the university was much more challenging than navigating through the city. Very interesting. So at Ryerson, I was able to, you know, go through a couple of committees and here I am in front of the Senate. Everything gets done in eight months. Um, at the UFA, it's like a two-year process. You go through like, I oh gosh, you know, like 20 different committees and, and faculties and so on and so forth. But we were successful. I mean, that shows that, you know, I was able to flourish in two different environments and, and contexts. And, and again, I'm very proud of what we were able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Did, did, you, have, did you have to seek out allies, um, you know, in not just the university, but actually externally, because there weren't I, I suspect that there probably were not enough, um, not too many planners or there were people that were unaware that 
you know, you wanted to bring this program into the uh, into the university. Did you have a lot of external allies as well to Sandy? Definitely, definitely. I I would say that um, we were successful and we are successful because of the support that we got from the larger community. And I'm talking about both uh, professional and and general community within within Edmonton. We had um, they were very welcoming. Um, wanted a program such as what we have created wanted to be part of the program. Uh, and as you said, we did not have enough planners and it takes a while for the university machinery to, you know, kick up and, and do the advertisement and recruitment and, and things of that in nature. So it, it was the professional planners, uh, folks from APPI, from the city of Edmonton, um, private sector planners, they all pitched in to teach courses in the first year, second year, and third year of the programs. And, and only because of them, we were able to then grow uh, from undergraduate to graduate and then, then to the doctoral programs. So yeah, Edmonton, I would say, um, has been um, a fascinating place for me. It, it has been very, very welcoming. Um, and it has accepted not just the school, but I'm just, very delighted to see that they have accepted our our students and and the skills and knowledge that that we are imparting to them. I secretly ask these questions because I also want an architecture school <laughs> in Edmonton because a lot of um, I think I think that the urban planning and the city planning community in Edmonton is so strong. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of events that are that are around. Um, you know, urban planning and urban design principles. And, you know, even our city processes, you know, what we go through is very much around, it's around those, that type of philosophy. And yeah, like I think I, in Winnipeg, that community was super strong uh, in, in the, with architecture, you know, you, the architects actually played a role in the lectures. They held symposiums and events and et cetera. So it's, yeah, no, it, it's great to hear that story. Yeah. If I could add one more. Mm -hmm. So when when we, as we were developing the program, um, my initial, initial observation was that in the planning community, there were fewer voices. It was mainly the public sector, and the private sector. So I'm talking about the developers and the builders and the folks from the municipal government. So we were able to um, create the third voice and that was our voice, which was unbiased, neutral, um, evidence-based, uh, fact-based. And I think over time, um, others accepted that and, and sort of respected um, what we stood for. Again, you know, you, you, one had to be a little bit more, more um, sophisticated about these things, but, um, but uh, I'm again, um, quite, quite nice to see uh, that, that our voice is being heard everywhere, whether it's a city council or, or in other venues. 
Yeah, so I think what Olivia is getting at here is she wants to start an architecture school. So uh, we came to the right place because Sandeep, you've uh, been you know involved in the startup of two schools. So maybe give us a quick how does how do we get started? How, where where do you even begin if you want to start an architecture school, Sandeep? Give us the answer. Yeah, what's the formula? Walk us from step one to step five hundred sixty four. <laughs> Okay, you have to make sure that your all your ducks are in line. I think we have everything we need to start the Olivia Fung School of Architecture. What do you think, Olivia? Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it me. <laughs> I don't know if I would call it Olivia, but um, but no, USC would be a that would be a tough competitor. Hmm. Okay. Well, we definitely came to the right place here. So you're, you're moving on though now, all, all of this good work. So um, tell us about why this is the right time for you to move on to, to a new role and, and about what this new role is. So I have, I have been the director of the school uh, for about a decade. And, and um, one day, just a couple of months ago, I realized this is it. I think this is time to move on. And and have someone else bring fresh energy, um, perhaps new voice, new ideas, to take this school to a different level. And I thought I have done what what I wanted to do, and and others should should have their own way to to lead it in whichever direction they want to take it. So that was that was one, and I decided at that time that I would uh, put in my resignation, and and I did that. With, with nothing else in my hand at that time. The current position, associate dean's position, came much later on. Um, so, so then I accepted because, you know, I had some time to, to spend on it. So the new position is um, in the Faculty of Graduate Studies and Research. And my job is to uh, manage um, programs, graduate programs across the entire campus. So at the School of Urban and Regional Planning, I was responsible for you know, two undergraduate programs, graduate program, and let's say PhD program. But in FGSR, the short form of Faculty of Graduate Studies and Research, I'm responsible for, I would say, you know, scores of programs from mathematics to medicine to, to what have you. So there is there is a lot of learning to happen because every program has its own little culture, uh, different eligibility criteria, different um, questions, problems, students' concerns that, that come to me. Um, and then I'm, I'm also looking at different ways to to make the quality of education better across the campus. So yeah, it's a much bigger portfolio, different vantage point of looking at graduate studies. Yeah, no kidding. It's fascinating. And this isn't a new position or a new role either. You're taking over for someone that had vacated the position? Yes. So this this was a position that was there that, 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 that laid vacant and, and I'm filling in that position. Right. Okay. So you're taking it to new heights, just like you're hoping somebody else takes the your former position or your former school to new heights. I got it. That's the goal. Um, 
you're also definitely, I'm assuming, not done with your research and your writing. Um, you do quite a bit of that, but I'm curious about what your um, kind of upcoming book is about. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. And just to be sure, are you talking about the rights in the city book or the municipal battles? Well, I'd love to hear about the municipal boundary battles if you're in a position to talk about that, if it's far enough along. Otherwise, yeah, like you can definitely summarize your rights to uh, rights to the rights in the city. Although, um, spoiler alert, I'm not quite done reading it. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So I won't talk about rights in the city, uh, but very quickly, um, rights in the city is about um, city dwellers' rights. Um, and I talk about differences between rights and freedoms and different kinds of rights, indigenous rights and human rights and um, property rights, um, right to housing and how they play out at the city level. And I think this may be the, one of the very few books out there talking about rights at the city level. In terms of um, the new book, which is all written up and, and uh, it's in it's in publication and uh, hopefully it will come out by the end of this year or early next year. It's called uh, Municipal Boundary Battles and I thought of its name before I actually started writing the book. <laughs> and it is all about um, how municipal boundaries are defined, how they change over time, how they get adjusted and um, what are the different factors that contribute to it, from politics to economics to planning uh, and, and environmental concerns and so on and so forth. So that's that's the book is about. It has chapters on Alberta, some very fascinating stories of Calgary, Edmonton, and the corridor along Calgary and Edmonton. And uh, it covers other provinces. Um, Ontario is, is a good one where uh, amalgamation has changed so many uh, municipal boundaries. Uh, so has happened in, in Quebec. We have um, authors who have written about Saskatchewan where annexation happens very often, as often as Alberta. And so, yeah, so, and we have covered a lot the maritime provinces, which are usually not much talked about and there are just some very very significant changes have occurred so much so that in 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 one of the the atlantic provinces the number of municipalities have been reduced by by one third just by a, a stroke of one legislation so so yeah and and again the impact and the repercussions of what happens when you change the boundaries so that's that's what these two books are about, um, but I can go on if I can talk about my new funding and things, Ryan, if you want. I have one follow-up question that I'd love if you if you talked about that. Yeah, so um, I see that you were a, uh, a member of the Municipal Government Board. So is a lot of this book just stories about your time dealing with annexations during that uh, time period, or are you uh, keeping it a little more theoretical? <laughs> Okay, I, I call myself an empiricist. I call myself uh, an empirical scholar. I, I, I don't do much of theory. I actually observe 
the practice of planning and uh, the problems and issues that the practice is facing. And then I theorize from there on. So I don't get into Heidegger and Nietzsche and so on and so forth uh, right up front, but I actually look at the problem and then theorize it later on. So in terms of uh, Municipal Government Board, I was uh, on the board for about three years. And the book does not talk about any of the cases that came to the Municipal Government Board. Um, I had funding from the Alberta Land Institute, and we have covered all kinds of boundary adjustment in the entire uh, province of Alberta. So we have a database of 300 or more annexations since 1991, and each of those annexations has a story to tell, and we tell some of those stories in the book. All right, Sandeep, we are going to pivot a little bit with this episode because you are our very first in-development Q&A episode. So we actually, on our social media for five days, you know, we asked the public on our platforms about questions that they have for you. And um, I have the list of them right here. And yeah, let's start. Let's dive right in. Let's start talking a bit about them. So the first question um, is, in your opinion, how does the draft zoning bylaw renewal help with inequality and social issues in Edmonton? Yeah, um, an excellent question. And uh, I, I, I tried to answer this when I made a deputation to uh, the city council when they were discussing this topic uh, just a few weeks ago. So I'm going to be upfront. Um, the new draft is certainly more equitable. It's more inclusive, and and is certainly climate resilient and climate friendly than the current one that we have. Um, you know, the few examples are that it has reduced the number of zones, which are very very complicated. It has introduced um, flexible zones, more. Uh, zones that are accommodative of different uses. Um, some of the uh, really problematic and contentious overlays, which are very restrictive, uh, have been removed uh, or proposed to be removed. And uh, it also talks about uh, how the city is going to adjust some of their development processes to involve more Edmontonians in the planning process. So all in all, I would say that... Um, it, it for me it ticks all the boxes, but having said that, uh, I would say that uh, again, listening to what others were saying uh, at the at the at the council, zoning alone is limited in its capacity, um, and it should not be seen as a panacea to solve all the issues that are in front of us. Uh, whether it's about equity, climate adaptation, energy transition, and, and what have you. Because these issues are, are very complex, they're much deeper, they're bigger, they're systemic. Zoning is just one little tool that, that can make some adjustments. Um, so yeah, when these larger issues are brought up, they require much broader thinking, multi-pronged stroke, strategies and means to tackle them. And again, zoning is just one of those strategies and means to do so. 
Great answer. Yeah, I like that. I love that. And you touched on exactly things that extend beyond the boundaries of our city. The second question is, what will you miss most about being the director of the planning program at the University of Alberta? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I'm, I'm already missing a lot. And that is uh, my almost daily interactions with the students whether they were one-on-one, -on -one, whether they were uh, via email or, or, or what have you. Um, and, and some of the, some of the uh, messages that I received once I stepped down were just, just, um, just made me very emotional uh, that I, I was able to see how much uh, I, I affected uh, people's lives personal lives as well as professional lives. Um, so I, I really miss the students because in my current position, uh, I feel a bit removed, um, only very contentious um, cases bubble up to me. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not at the front lines. Um, so yeah, I, I miss, I, I'm already missing, uh, you know, being with students. And the other thing is that uh, as part of this job, the current position, I get teaching release. So I'm not in front of the students either uh, for, yeah, for, for at least a few years. Yeah. Um, and I also think that people coming into, uh, you know, the younger generation, I don't know the, the best word to say it, but I feel like everyone always has, they always have such fresh perspectives you know, and it's really nice talking to them. And, um, you know, it, it, they care a lot more about different topics than probably what planning principles were, um, uh, you know, designed around in 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. They bring fresh ideas, fresh concepts, approaches. Uh, but, you know, what tickles me is, um, I'll again tell you a story, very short one. <laughs> Um, I was in, 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 in Toronto and um, I think I put it on social media or somewhere I'm in Toronto and this student of mine, former student contacted me and said, look, you know, and his partner in a large um, planning firm said, look, you know, let's go for coffee. And he said one thing to me, he said, Sandeep, you asked me to go to this university and you were so firm and that was the best decision I've made. Not only he got the education, we found his partner and, you know, all, he said all the good things started from there for him and professional as well as personal. And there are so many other stories that are here. And again, back to your previous question, that's that's what I, I think I'm going to miss a lot. Or perhaps it's time to reminisce last 25, 26 years of being in front of, front of students. That's a great story. Um, the next question I have for you is how will you be involved in School of Urban and Regional Planning or the local planning industry moving forward? I will still be involved. Uh, I'm, I'm a faculty, um, full-time faculty in the school, um, um, if not teaching per se. Um, I am supervising a number of master's students and PhD students. And who knows, over time, uh, I'll start teaching a course or two, which is which are very close to my heart. 
Um, my <laughs> most of my friends here in Edmonton are from the planning industry, so obviously I'm going to run into them in different venues. Um, so I'll, I'll those friendship friendship will 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 carry on uh, for for sure. Well, that's great. Um, next question is: What topics related to cities are we not talking about today that we should be? Mm. Look, I'm I'm not going to talk about specific topics, but here's what I'm going to say. I frankly do not believe in an ideology hmm. or one way of looking at cities. You know, we, we hear, we see, we have read books on, you know, creative cities and happy cities and rebel cities and so on and so forth. I would, I would rather call the practical city. Cities are complex and they have been complex uh, entities since their emergence. I mean, you go back to Mesopotamia civilization, you know, and the cities started back then as uh, places of commerce. Um, over time, they became places where both rich and poor live, professional, professionals live, businesses came along. Um, they, were, they were the seats of economy back then and still are economic engines of, the, uh, of a region or a country. So just one way of looking at it is a very parochial thinking. Given the fact where we are, which country we are in, municipal governments have very limited power. They can only do so much. Right. And cities need multiple levels of government coming together to help in terms of the economy of, of that city, in terms of the environmental concerns of the city, in terms of welcoming new immigrants, housing, so on and so forth. And we need all of those governments. We need everyone to support all different disciplines to come together. So, again, I would say... <laughs> It's the practical, the pragmatism of the city is most important rather than one way, one approach. Yeah, that's a good point because, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, when you're talking about that civilization, it was all, it, it surrounded economic development, but economic development also ties into social issues and equitable issues that really do influence how your city ends up getting developed. And that's where it's very complex. So I do agree with that. Uh, what research topics are you hoping to progress or see progressed in the future? Mm -hmm. I'm assuming this question, you're talking about my own research topic or general planning discipline. So as I mentioned before, I do um, all kinds of um, research um, because they all have relevance um, to city. It, I, I go another quick story back to almost two decades. Uh, I, I moved here from, um, from the US. My doctoral research was uh, something to do with design review process. At that time, legislation in Canada did not allow any of the province did not allow for design review. 
because you could not, cities could not control the actual design, the color and you know, the texture and so on and so forth. So it did not have a direct relevance to it. And I was looking for uh, a, a new topic. Now, over the time you see design review uh, uh, has become sort of a, um, you know, part of the regular planning, planning practice. So I was in Toronto and I was looking for a topic and I could see around me how multicultural um, Toronto was and still is. And I thought, well, I, I want to explore how cities morphology, um, how cities morphology ch changes because of the people who come from different cultures and religion and so on and so forth. So that was there in the back of my mind. And I also looking at where do people settle these immigrants and newcomers and why do they settle in one place and not in other, other place? And there about, there was a report that came out from Stats Canada. We talked about ethnic enclaves, which is sort of is the term used where um, one ethnicity is, is predominant in a neighborhood. And it said, it actually talked about ethnic enclave as one of the parameters in the index of isolation, meaning people of same ethnicity or same religion, when they live together, they're much more isolated. And we, I started my research on that and um, with, with another faculty member at that time at Queens, and we changed the entire idea. I mean, now it has become uh, a public narrative. It has been accepted in pu public narrative, uh, political discourse and media discourse that ethnic enclaves are actually good things. They are not like American ghettos where you see a lot of deprivation and, and poverty and so on and so forth. You go to Toronto, I mean, you look at Richmond, you look at Markham, you look at Brampton, I mean, they're not, these are not poor people. These are not, you know, dilapidated housing. Uh, anyway, so so that's that's what um, I, I I looked at at, at at that point of time, and and since then, you know, I've looked at climate change. So my point here is things that were not accepted before. I took on as a challenge and connected them to cities, and make them part of the mainstream planning processes and practice. Another one is human rights. Human rights, I started about 2011, 2012. And again, it, it, I accidentally stepped into it. There was a huge issue with the city of Toronto and I was asked, and, and city of Toronto was, um, was taken to the court because of the way their zoning bylaw was written. And I was hired um, because the court decided and the, both parties decided that an independent expert could look at this, this, this issue. And I was given, um, you know, a bunch of um, lawyers who were experts in international human rights law and then a bunch of lawyers who were experts in um, domestic, the Canadian human rights law. And I put together this report that led to changes, not only to the Toronto zoning bylaw, but actually changed the provincial legislation. And 
Ontario may be the only province in the entire country, perhaps in North America, which mandates every municipality to give due credence to Ontario Human Rights Code and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So, so that's that's what I have I have been doing. So now moving forward, um, recently we got a fairly large grant. It's about it's over a hundred million dollars um, federal grant, and the grant is about immigrant integration. And I am the lead from the University of Alberta. The grant is led by Toronto Metropolitan University. Three other universities are partners uh, in this grant. Uh, Concordia, uh, UBC, and, and the U of A. And my, my, um, my approach here would be, again, to connect some of these issues to, um, to cities, like housing, like affordability, um, places of worship. I mean, why do places of worship, wherever they go, begin to attract more people? And you see more and more communities begin to get developed around these and and so many other issues that could come up. Climate refugees, for instance. I mean, we have not even defined what climate refugees are, what displacement by climate change means. It's happening here. It has happened here in Alberta. We saw so many people from Fort McMurray moved here because of wildfire. Yes, we didn't say that wildfire happened because of climate change or some of the recent wildfires that moved and displaced, you know, tens of thousands of, of Albertans as well. So that's that's where that's where I am moving. We have um, a, a number of leading AI and machine learning uh, folks who will help us uh, in ways we can provide more uh, efficient and effective services to immigrants and refugees and things of that in nature. So that's where my research is progressing, at least for next seven to ten years. That's a that's a very very rich answer, Sandy. I think I counted like ten different research topics in that. <laughs> Even though I know you're probably it's probably going to be directed more towards your um, pla- the planning goals and the um, environmental goals that you set out to do, but I literally counted like seven, uh, seven or ten, yeah, seven topics that you could go on to do a whole four year research on it. <laughs> Um, last question: Do you draw any que- uh, do you draw any connections between the infill advocacy in Edmonton and the human rights research that you conduct? I think there is a direct relationship between human rights and um, infill policies and advocacy. Um, I think infill is is an approach, uh, a strategy, or a tool to provide more affordable housing uh, to Edmontonians and, and newcomers to, to Edmonton. And if, if we stretch the idea of human rights and say that, yes, right to housing is a human right, which federal government has said, but it's not in the constitution, um, I think infill is a good way to make progress on Canadians' human rights. Thank you so much, Sandy. Uh, and of course, we always ask our guests uh, at the end of each episode, a call to action. What is your call to action to our listeners, Sandy? 
I would say uh, get involved in whichever capacity you can uh, in any of the city's activities. Edmonton, for instance, is our city. It needs all of us and not just planners, not just city officials, not just architects. Each one of us is a city builder because either we have property here, we are homeowners or tenants or what have you, but we live here. We build this city together. And how can it be done? Um, how can we be involved? Well, we can volunteer. We can volunteer at the community leagues, uh, rec centers. We can volunteer at the city programs or wherever you know someone's heart lies. So I think, uh, a million of us can do a lot by doing things together rather than blaming someone else. Agree. I also think that if you did not participate in any sort of a civic, uh, any sort of civic hearing, or if the city has made, um, you know, open houses and all those type of uh, presentation events, I don't think you should complain. <laughs> Because that, you know, because I think one thing I was really surprised with the zoning uh, bylaw renewal was that there were a lot of people in the public that said the city did all these changes without telling them, which I totally disagree because it's been out in newspapers. They've had actually open houses and stuff like that. And that's about getting involved. That's about listening to. Um, it's about listening to uh, what is what's sort of the pulse of your city, you know? No, this is great, Sandy. Thank you so much. That concludes our episode. Thanks so much for being on our podcast. We had such a great time at, talking to you and um, asking and, and being the first guest to be part of this Q&A with In Development. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I, I myself had a really, really great time. Fascinating guy, fascinating chat. What did you think? I really enjoyed talking to Sandy Ryan. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He had a, he had a he, all his thoughts were very insightful. Every and all the questions that we had for him, yeah, they were very well thought out. And yeah, really enjoyed listening to him. Yeah, he definitely uh, comes off as a guy that's written over a hundred papers and published three books. Definitely, ne definitely an expert in this field. My favorite part of our conversation, though, was um, how he became, how he fell into the planning profession and became this expert, um, just out of simple practicality. Only one, one extra year of school uh, to <laughs> go in, after his master's to go into planning instead of uh, have it, needing an extra one to continue on into architecture. I think his life would have been very different. And so would the planning profession kind of locally in Edmonton have been different had architecture school um, just had the same exact amount of, uh, of, of uh, requirements in terms of years as planning did when he came in. Yeah, absolutely. It's always interesting how people's career evolve. I always love talking to people's uh, origin of, you know, what, what they fell into, how they fell into where their line of work right now. I was watching this Netflix documentary um, called Working, and it's actually hosted by uh, Barack Obama. And it was the same thing with um, this hotel manager he was inter interviewing. And it wasn't some sort of romanticized, passionate, 
job that he wanted to do, but he was really good at it. He worked in the hotel for as long as he could. He actually came, he actually came from Paris and actually moved and started working as just, you know, a floor manager, but then eventually grew to um, become a hotel manager in this really nice, cute boutique uh, hotel in New York, Manhattan. So it was, it was really nice. And, you know, it's not like he had that education or anything like education and management. Then it was like, this is the career I wanted to go, but it was for reasons where he just knew he was really good at it. He, he was really good at it. He knew what he needed to do and he was very successful. Yeah. And just like practicality. Um, yeah. when, when I was at U of M, so I, I talked about it on the podcast before, but I wanted to be an, an architect. So I took a couple of years of architecture school at U of M and then I needed to, um, switch gears and I actually wanted to go right into planning, but they didn't have a planning, um, program in the undergrad at that time. They didn't have enough kids sign up. So I got put into landscape and I actually really loved that. Um, but I wonder how much it, you know, I, I still ended up finding my way back to planning, but if I would have loved landscape architecture, uh, way more, you know, my impact on the planning profession here locally might've been even less had I, had I, uh, <laughs> kept on that path. So yeah, I, I know you and I have talked about it a lot before, but it's, um, it's funny how, you know, you set out, to, you set out to start off doing something, but then you, you kind of follow a very circuitous path to get to where you are today. So I, I know you had a very similar experience. Yeah. But it's, it's funny how, how things work out. And, you know, thankfully, uh, the planning profession can thank the one uh, fewer year of school that Sandeep needed to, needed to take, um, which led to him coming up with some very important research. So uh, the other thing that I thought was fascinating was the discussion about how to start an architecture school fascinating <laughs> fascinating do you feel confident that you're ready to take on that task uh um, <laughs> yeah I, I don't think i am ryan i think i would probably need to be in i think actually think i need to go back to school to actually build the relationships and the allies to get that going because it sounded like it sounded like a lot of work <laughs> Yeah. And like, kind of like a lot of work. Yeah. And backroom deals and like just have, have, having to get everybody on board with you basically starting a, starting up a competitor seems like a crazy system. Yeah. And it's not just even looking at it locally. You also have to convince why it works on a national level too, because he probably had competition with UFC, you know, which is in the same province, you know, and that must not have been an easy conversation to have or to get people to side on and ask for grants and funding to start a school. But it would be, it would really shape our landscape for sure. And sort of the conversations we have um, at, at a, on a municipal level. Yeah. And even just like, not just not just the outside, like having to um, convince like the U of Calgary or other universities that have a similar program. You have to convince somebody inside the university to take a chance on you too, like some department. Hey, I want to open up a school. Can I be under your department and under your wing and take some of your funding and, you know, add more, add more yep. people to your faculty and 
whatever. Yeah. It's, it seems like a big endeavor. I thought it was way simpler than that. If I'm being honest, I thought, Hey, I want to open up a school. I'm going to go get some funding from the province. Uh, yeah. they'll divert some, I'm going to open up this school carte blanche blank slate, no corporate overlords, no, nobody. I get to do it how I want, but that's not the case at all. You need to like, you need to trade and deal and like, yeah. and, oh my goodness. Yeah, I don't think yeah. I'm cut out for it. So I think you might be on your own for this architecture school. Yeah, I feel like I do it at my job too much already. <laughs> and I'm fully invested and committed to it that taking it on from an academia world would be, uh, be really hard, Ryan. It felt like I'd be starting over. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. But I would love to see one. Like, I would yeah. love to see an architecture school in Edmonton. It'd be, I think it's a game changer for a lot of uh, uh, design cult, for, for a design community. Do you believe that cities that have an architecture school locally um, are further ahead in terms of design than a city like Edmonton that doesn't have an architecture school? I think so. I think there's, I think there's room for, um, yeah, I think there's room for, uh, you know, experimentation. There's more conversations around, um, there's more conversations around different uh, ways to approach architecture you know, I think um, there. I think the public itself would be a little bit uh, is also more educated in the different uh, facets of architecture. It's not just a building. You know, it's about making space. You know, it's about bringing art into space. So I think I think that I feel like there'd be more uh, well-rounded conversations around designing our city. Yeah, I tend to agree as well. So that yeah, it kind of brings up the the, the minimum floor of everybody, and even just yeah, the language part. That was a good point. So yeah, I hope I hope we get there someday. I hope we get there. Me someday. too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So the last thing we need to talk about is um, well, a couple things. First, uh, this is Olivia and I's last podcast episode. Um, the podcast is transitioning to two wonderful new hosts. Um, I'm going to let maybe Olivia speak to why um, why on her side that is the case. But for me, um, yeah, it was just, you know, year and a half of putting on this podcast, going through a couple different co-hosts. Um, it was just time to move on. So the, the podcast is moving into an exciting new spot. Like I said, two new hosts, which we're not going to reveal right now. You'll see it on the next episode. Um, but yeah, ideas kind of transitioning in, in terms of the podcast. But Olivia, what's going on in your life that you're not going to be podcasting anymore? Yeah, I have to admit, it's super bittersweet because I actually really loved uh, doing this. And I actually love doing it with you, doing this with you, Ryan. Likewise. You're a great co-host. Um, but we're pretty excited about these next two co-hosts that are coming as well. Uh, at least I am. Um, but I am, uh, me and my husband are starting a family. That's why. And we're going on another adventure and endeavor into parenthood. So it will be a different journey and it'll be a different story to tell. Yes, it definitely will be. So that's, I mean, that's very exciting for you. And and for all those listeners out there, the funny thing is Olivia actually uh, offered to keep going on Matt Leave and keep going as a podcast host for another couple episodes. So, um, that's huge for you, but I think you made the right decision to step off now before anything shows up. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to uh, get a good. We could. Otherwise, we couldn't shoot the shit. You know. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It would be a little <laughs> bit more business-like. Exactly. I mean, I, 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 you know, the, 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 the listeners out there can't see, but we're actually staring at each other while we're talking here. And it would be, I think it'd be awesome to have uh, your little baby sitting next to you or sitting with you on the podcast. I think that would, that would definitely be nice to look at, but um, I understand. I understand that it, it might make sense to step back. So anyways, yeah, Livy and I are stepping back now. Um, two new great podcast shows are coming up. They're going to keep it, keep it going. I think they have some new ideas of where they want to take it, but generally the format's going to be all the same. Olivia, I want, if you can, to give me a couple of your most memorable guests or highlights Ooh. over the past little bit that you've been a, uh, a co-host. Mm-hmm. I definitely really enjoyed uh, my conversation with Nancy just because it's, it's fun to, to have a platform to speak with a friend yeah, and also hey. speak about design. Yeah, I thought that was really fun. Um, yeah, actually, the, I got to say, the last few episodes have actually been really fun for me. With Stephen Rates, with Paths for People. Uh, Sandeep was really fun because I kind of really liked the newer platform. I really enjoyed the 10th anniversary YouTube, um, just, despite the fact that I was peeing my pants. <laughs> despite the fact that I was very, very nervous being in front of the camera. I did really enjoy that episode, um, especially talking to uh, those three individuals. Um, but yeah, I think mainly because part of it was also, I also got like comfortable doing it. I think the first couple episodes I was a little nervous and I wanted to engage with the guests, but it was it was uh, it was hard because I'm such a person where it takes me a bit of time to listen and absorb what people are talking about and then actually respond, but. I think um, as we did this more and more, it felt really, it felt good to, I felt more present in the moment. You know, you just try not to overthink it. You just go along with uh, talking and you build the conversation based on what that, what, what the other person is saying. It sounds easy, but Ryan is actually really hard. Oh, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. I will not go back and listen to those first couple episodes that Mariah and I did. I just, I just can't. It's too cringy for me. So yes, I completely understand. And even just like how many takes it took, um, like the like Mariah and I did a lot of editing early on, a lot. And then as we evolved and you came on board, we did like way less editing and way more like conversational. So um, you fit in like an absolute hand in a glove. It like there was really no difficult transition for for myself going between co-hosts so you know I, I don't think outwardly it seemed like you were very nervous um at the 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 video podcast though I think both and I were visibly trembling so that's that's a yes, different animal yes. but yeah but on the audio episodes I think we I think we did pretty good my favorite episode that you and I did was with Han actually I thought that was I learned so oh, much from good. yeah I learned so much from talking to Han so um, that was probably my favorite episode. Um, there's, yeah, there's, there's so many to go through, but yeah, like Han, Han's the one that sticks out for me quite a bit. And then Sandy, mm -hmm. just cause it's very recent, obviously, but yeah, it's, it's a little bittersweet. I think, uh, yeah. I, yeah. Are, are you going to tune in? Are you going to keep tuning in? Oh, absolutely. I would love to see how our two new co-hosts do and what kind of guests they're bringing on, what type of topics and, you know, what type of, um, platform or uh or sorry what type of format they're gonna try to introduce I'm, I'm excited to see that yeah me too um 
So yeah, that's that's kind of the end of the road for us. We don't know when the the next episode is going to be launched. It'll probably be sometime in the fall. Um, but yeah, you'll be hearing two new voices. Great, great people. Great voices. Um, big into the idea world. Big into the into the local industry as well. So um, you'll probably recognize them as soon as you hear their voices for sure. But we're excited to see where this goes. Um, any kind of final thoughts, or should we go right to our shout out? Yeah. No. I think I think uh, I said it all, Ryan. Just a better. Just bittersweet. It's really bittersweet. Yeah. I kind of wish sometimes there was two more, but then, yeah, it's just timing never allows it. <laughs> you have enough going on in your life right now. Like, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, our shout out today is it's our last shout out. And we actually saved a very special one for last because um, it's funny. She reached out to us. She knows both of us. Um, She worked, she worked with you at dialogue, I think. Yeah, she did. She did. Yeah. And uh, she's a planner. So our paths cross quite a bit, but, um, and she also teaches at the U of A with me. Um, So Chelsea, yeah, she reached out she she started this little, small little group chat to say hey i love listening to your podcast um did she say when she was doing the dishes or when she was doing like housework or something whatever she said um, or even, um, yeah i think i think she even said she was while she was working sometimes too don't worry chelsea it's <laughs> it's it's totally fine <laughs> i was listening yeah. to podcasts when i was working too <laughs> yes whenever you listen to us we are happy about that but yeah chelsea thank yeah. you very much for listening and honestly it made both of our days when you reached out and said that you were a big yeah. fan of the podcast so um yeah we saved our best our best shout out for last year but chelsea thank you very much for listening and thank you to everybody else that listened over the past you know year and a half for that i was on and almost a year for olivia now so as we transition into our new uh lives and roles here i guess away from the podcast i'm definitely mm-hmm. you know speaking on your behalf olivia but i think we're both going to remember um this podcast fondly and i hope it uh, i hope you keep listening so until then um keep exploring and stay curious edmonton mm-hmm.